bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today, um, we're very fortunate to have two very busy men taking time out of their schedule to join us and tell us what is going on, what is going on in uh, our country when, um, as a reaction to the crisis in the Middle East, notably um, Israel bombing Lebanon, trying to protect its own borders and country, and how this has sparked um, a new wave of anti-Semitism in the United States, and quite probably around the world for that matter. Um, my guests are Jonathan Bernstein. He's the regional director of the Anti-Defamation League, the Central Pacific region. He's out of San Francisco. And Rick Barton, he's the former board chair and executive chair of the San Diego ADL, and he's now the National Commissioner for International Relations for ADL. So, thank both of you. I know this is a, a very, um, a very uh, busy time, particularly with two very high-profile reactions to the crisis in the Middle East. One, of course, Mel Gibson, his anti-Semitic tirade when he was arrested for drunk driving on Friday, and also on Friday, the Seattle gunman who um, pushed his way into the Jewish Federation of Greater Seattle and killed one person and um, injured five others. So why don't we why don't we start with um, your giving us a bird's eye view of what life is like in your respective posts at the Anti Defamation League, Jonathan? Why don't you start? Well, I would say that for the last several years, our biggest struggle up here in the San Francisco Bay Area is dealing with um, much of the criticism that's leveled against Israel, but goes much too far. In other words. It's not simply just a legitimate criticism about a specific policy that the Israeli government has taken. Um, it's really uh, gets to the point where it's just blatant hatred. Um, I can recall looking out my window at one of the um, large anti-war demonstrations up here and seeing a man walking down the street carrying a sign that said, uh, Smash the Jewish State. Um, and he would flip the sign around, and on the other side it would say, smash the Jewish race. Um, and that sort of sums up the problem that we're dealing with a lot up here. Um, we often refer to it as the new anti-Semitism, uh, which, as opposed to the old anti-Semitism, uh, tends to come more from the extreme left. Uh, the old anti-Semitism, of course, came from the extreme right, was perpetrated by uh, neo-Nazis, clan groups, and so on, and was a much easier for us to oppose because uh, we could find allies much easier in the civil rights community and elsewhere. Uh, people in the Jewish community also had an easier time recognizing it. Um, this new anti-Semitism tends to come from the left. It's often difficult for people to see it because 
so many people in the Jewish community are involved in causes on the left. Um, and so uh, we're having a much harder time responding to it and, more importantly, getting uh, community leaders to speak out against it. And so it's, I think it's created this environment out there in the community uh, which has allowed uh, anti-Semitism to flourish. Well, why do you think that is, that um, it's more from the left? I mean, what, what is motivating these individuals? Well, um, I mean, besides hate, but why now is, has it changed in this way? Well, I think any time people are put in a uncomfortable situation uh, where they're worried about their uh, security, their safety, their well-being, uh, there's sometimes a tendency to look for scapegoats uh, and for easy answers. And so I think Americans and maybe the world community uh, feels a lot less secure today than they did, you know, several years ago. Um, in light of all the tensions that are going on in the world, and so uh, so it's easy to use Israel as a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Well, Rick, let me ask you about. Um, let me just say, so so are you sort of dating this new anti-Semitism from around nine eleven? Um, I would. It's around that same time, but I would associate it more with the start of the Second Antifada more than 9-11. Mm-hmm. Okay, Rick, what, 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 what are you coping with these days? How has um, life been changing for you in terms of what you do for the ADL? Well, I, I, it's interesting because San Diego is, is a different place than San Francisco in terms of our population. San Diego tends to be a much more conservative place. Um, it's a military town, and so in a, in a lot of respects, we're not seeing some of the same things that Jonathan may be seeing up in San Francisco. Um, for instance, in, in, you know, in, in my workplace and, and many of the, the radio stations, which tend to be more right-wing um, here in San Diego, um, there's actually a, a, a greater amount of support for what Israel is doing um, and we're not seeing the same thing that I know that Jonathan is, is seeing just because I'm, I'm obviously very familiar with San Francisco and, and the political landscape up there. So it, it is, it's, it's a little bit different environment. What we're dealing with here is um, more of more education and trying to help the media understand what's going on in the Middle East. And we do have our share of... Um, talk radio that have really taken two different tacks. One is um, exactly what Jonathan is describing. Um, That is to essentially have certain talk show hosts try and equate what Israel is doing with simply being terrorism. I mean, one of the talk show hosts basically came out and, and said, you know, I don't see a difference between what Hezbollah is doing and what Israel does mm. when it shells southern Lebanon. Um, and so, so, so there's, there's, there's that strain. The other strain is, is a, ties itself into the war in Iraq. And what one of the, and this is a right-wing radio talk show host is doing, is 
he's basically, he took George Bush's comments the other day about creating a multinational force and basically asked the question, do you really want your sons and daughters to be stationed in Lebanon? Um, you know, in, and of course, the, you didn't get to the next part of it because he would never dare say it, you know, but to protect, you were getting the middle of these two factions. And so there is, I think, this strain here, because this is a military town, of asking, is this the kind of conflict that we want to get in? And the underlying theme of that is, of course, between these Jews and Arabs, and of course, they're all the same. So, mm. but it's, so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit more situated or, or, or more a reflection of the population down here. The other part of it is is that we do have a lot of um, very hostile uh, white supremacist groups who love San Diego for the weather and some of the open spaces, and they get to go and shoot their guns mm-hmm. and, and, and all of that. And so they, they actually sort of weigh in on these things. Um, interestingly, they sort of embrace their Arab and, and Palestinian brethren, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm using that obviously facetiously, um, in order to, you know, demonize the Jews and, and to find, you know, some parallel between what the Jews are doing and what the Nazis did and, and, and again, to sort of demonize our community. So we're on the alert for some of their activities, um, and we do a lot of consulting with Jewish agencies down here. So, of course, it, you know, we had already put out security alerts to, the, to our JCC, to our synagogues, to our Jewish agencies to be you know, to, to increase their security, um, Seattle just sort of punctuated that point, and, and I think everybody is, is looking to ADL to assist in, in making sure that they're using appropriate security measures. So what both of you are saying, although it's slightly different, you know, depending upon geography, you're both saying, it seems to me, that there has been an increase in um, anti-Semitism. Well, that's always a difficult thing to measure. Um, you know, we do a audit of anti-Semitic incidents each year. We've been doing it for, oh, uh, probably at least 25 years now. And um, uh, that's those are incidents that are reported to ADL. And um, there are a lot of things that can influence that reporting. Um, it also doesn't necessarily measure the severity of each incident. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but... Uh, those statistics seem to indicate that uh, there hasn't really been a dramatic rise in the number. Um, we also try to do some polling, though, to get at attitudes of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Um, and there we have seen some slight increases in, you know, we, we obviously don't go up to someone and ask them, are you an anti-Semite, because we might not get the, the honest answer. Right. Um, but we ask a number of questions to try to get to, the answer to that question, and um, and lately it seems like there has been an increase in anti-Semitic attitudes. We can't then say that it's led to an increase in incidents, though. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what's really important to understand about this is that there are people who will tell you, I have nothing against Jews, this is not about being anti-Semitic. I just think Israel, and then they'll go on with their list mm. of things, and, they, and they'll equate what they do with, you know, they're terrorists the same way that the Palestinians are. Um, you know, of course the Palestinians are fighting back. They have no other way of doing this, et cetera. And, and, and so they don't view themselves as, as 
hating Jews. But what they do is they, 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 their comments reflect this animus, and they sort of hide behind this notion that, oh, this doesn't have anything to do with Jews, but let me tell you about all the evil things that Israel does, and they're terrorists, and they're Nazis, and they use all of these, you know, these, these inflammatory descriptions of, of, of Israel and what the Israelis are doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's a good place to take a break. Um, you know, I guess what is con- of concern is also that uh, with all of these attitudes, um, that's sort of a, a hotbed, you know, for then behaviors come from attitudes. So, so it is certainly worrying. And when we come back, we'll talk about some worrying cases that, uh, that transcended from the hotbed of attitude to actual acts. My guests today are Jonathan Bernstein and Rick Barton, both from the Anti-Defamation League. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, VoiceAmerica.com. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Want to break in the action? Join us Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m. and again from 8 to 9 p.m. for the L.A. Underground Comedy Show, hosted by stand-up comedian Ralph Benson, who also co-produces Comedy Beer Sex Appeal, Santa Monica's premier weekly stand-up comedy showcase at 14 Below. Originally from Rochester, New York, Ralph has been a bartender in Hollywood for over six years and is a veteran of the Los Angeles nightlife scene. If you've partied in L.A. since a millennium, chances are he's probably got you drunk. So untuck your shirt and have a stiff Bell with Ralph's No Holds Barred approach with LA Underground Comedy Show on the Voice America channel beginning May 25th and every Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m. and again at 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on VoiceAmerica.com. At least 90% of sports success requires mental strength, and the greater the competitive level, the more critical it becomes to build that mental muscle. Tune into Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Jim Meyer, sports psychology coach, consultant, and author, offers practical, powerful, and positive mental game, tools, tips, and techniques. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental game with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
We're talking about a very serious topic today, um, anti-Semitism and its uh, reaction to um, the crisis in the Middle East. Um, my guests today are Jonathan Bernstein and Rick Barton from the Anti-Defamation League, which does a lot to uh, try to counteract prejudice and teach people uh, about tolerance. And uh, one of the people that you somehow left out, you guys, <laughs> well, not because I'm sure you didn't try, but was Mel Gibson, who actually um, showed his true colors on Friday when he was arrested in Malibu by Deputy James Mee, which I must tell you on a little side note here, um, really uh, was fascinating for me because Deputy Mee, <laughs> who goes around the Malibu Calabasas area, has arrested me <laughs> twice, not for drunk driving, <laughs> but he is a very one tough cookie, one tough cop. And um, he's really, he, <laughs> he does his job incredibly diligently. And... Um, so it was just kind of, I mean, of all of all the people to have arrested uh, uh, Mel Gibson, you know, he was one that wasn't going to be impressed by his celebrity status or anything. And um, I must say, I have to give him credit. I will take back some of the things I thought about him. And um, um, and because, in fact, um, he audio taped the exchange. Um, Mel Gibson was quite, um, you know, quite. He he. he acted like a spoiled star, um, you know, how dare you arrest me for anything, and was um, uh, cursing at the officer and, and um, you know, just acting, not wanting to cooperate to get in the car, etc. And Deputy Me audio taped it and then um, wire, phoned ahead uh, to um, tell the people at the station what was happening, how Mel Gibson was not being cooperative, etc. He was worried he was going to be even more violent. And when they got to the station, um, the station videotaped Mel Gibson, which is all very um, fortunate, not for Mel Gibson, but because it caught um, some incredible, his incredible barrage of anti-Semitic statements um, on tape. And what was interesting, though, as well, was that uh, apparently um, Deputy Me was told to write a different report uh, leaving out the incendiary comments of Mel Gibson, the anti-Semitic comments, and the reason was he was told that this will be too inflammatory if the press gets hold of it, etc., and that um, supposedly the real report was going to go into his superior's desk and that it was going to come out when um, he was going to be tried for this offense, but um, but they didn't want, you know, these... They didn't want him to tell the truth, and apparently, obviously, this, you know, this did get out anyway. So um, I'll turn it over. Now, I should say also that um, sort of the latest news is that uh, in, in terms of being on the, LD, on the ADL website, uh, that they, as of today, um, they, it says, ADL welcomes Mel Gibson's apology to the Jewish community. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League today accepted actor Mel Gibson's apology for anti-Semitic remarks he made during an arrest on suspicion of drunken driving. Abraham Foxman, ADL National Director, issued the following statement. This is the apology we had sought and requested. We are glad that Mel Gibson has finally owned up to the fact that he made anti-Semitic remarks because he had been denying them at first. 
and his apology sounds sincere. We welcome his efforts to repair the damage he has caused, to reach out to the Jewish community, and to seek help. Once he completes his rehabilitation for alcohol abuse, we will be ready and willing to help him with his second rehabilitation to combat the disease of prejudice. It's very well written, but I must say it's a lot more forgiving than I would have been. It seems like it was it was um, rather soon to accept his apology, especially when, uh, with the Passion of the Christ, there was all this controversy about his father having been a Nazi sympathizer. I will turn it over to you. Who would like to start? You want me to go first? Go, this, this, go ahead. Sure. This is Rick. Um, you know, I, I guess I have a, a, a couple of thoughts, and, and I'll start with the apology um, and the acceptance of the apology and the, the statement that came out of ADL. And, you know, one of the things I think that, that we have to remember is that the, the issues that are going on in the Middle East are overwhelming um, the Jewish community at the present time, and the Jewish community here. Quite frankly, um, you know, we don't have a whole lot of time to deal with Mel Gibson <laughs> and whatever tirade he decided to go on. So, I, I you know, I think that, that in some ways um, our offices have been active in responding to this. In fact, I'm doing another television interview right after this show, and our, our hearts really aren't in this particular story. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we're also dealing, I mean, this morning I was speaking with my kibbutz family who lives up in the north and, and where the kibbutz that I lived on as a teenager was shelled. Mm. Um, so we're dealing with a lot of other things, and, and uh, quite frankly, I'm not all that concerned about the rantings of some pathetic, you know, drunk actor up in, in Malibu. Now, the other part of it is it, it's very interesting, if you really want to understand anti-Semitism, you know, there are many different manifestations of anti-Semitism. And one of them is sort of the paranoiac, you know, Jews are responsible for all of the world's ills. Um, You know, his comment was that, uh, you know, the Jews are responsible for all of the wars. And that really sort of, that that form of anti-Semitism, I think, characterizes um, Mel Gibson and other people um, who are looking at this war and, and, and essentially blaming Jews for, you know, the difficulties that we're having with oil prices, with the economy, um, with the fact that people are in Iraq, this idea that Jews somehow, contr- you know, have, have overwhelmed the likes of Don Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney and, and some of these others to, to force this war into, you know, in Iraq to, to help Israel. And so there's a, there's a theme, I think, that if, if someone wants to come away from this with a lesson about anti-Semitism, yes, this guy was, you know, point one two, and it's, it's amazing what point one two does to a person's PC, you know, and, and, and their, you know, mm-hmm. the political correctness. Um, and, and yes, he's, you know, he's an actor and he's high profile, but I'm, I'm really more interested in sort of the, the theme that he adopts and, and how I believe that influenced his making of the Passion of the Christ because he truly is a rejectionist of this notion that the Catholic Church wants to absolve the Jews for having killed Jesus. And so there's all of that sort of wound up in all of this. Yes, Absolutely. You know, I, I agree that um, that certainly what's happening in Israel is is a lot more tragic and important than than one 
out-of-control, pathetic actor. Um, but uh, the problem is, though, that he, he's also a very influential man who, whose movie, you know, The Passion of the Christ, did its own little damage in terms of anti-Semitism. And there are some people who, who think he's just, you know, will listen to him or think he's a cool actor or, you know, or someone with a lot of money or influential in some way. Um, Jonathan, would you like to respond? Well, I would just say that, yeah, you're right. And when um, the ADL was uh, uh, publicly criticizing him uh, for the movie, you know, we, we got a lot of flack, both within the Jewish community and outside the Jewish community, uh, for speaking out against it. Um, really? Oh, yeah. But um, uh, but I think this latest episode uh, kind of shows that we were really doing the right thing, um, and uh, we were hesitant to label him as having anti-Semitic attitudes at the time because he hadn't made any public statements that would lead us to conclude that. But but now he has, um, so it's clear to everyone uh, what his motives are. I, I think the other part of it is that that you know although. You know, the ADL's statement may seem quick. It also, in some ways, demands that, that, that he really show the sincerity of his apology. So, so, you know, it's easy for someone, especially when publicists are beating him over the head because of the potential impact on their business, mm-hmm. um, for someone to do a mea culpa and to apologize and to offer to do things. Um, I think what ADL is basically saying to him is, you know what, if you're truly sincere about this, we'll take you up on it, but let's put you to the test and, and go, do, go ahead and do your rehab and, and uh, you know, let some time pass and, and then let's really see if you're sincere about all of this. Mm-hmm. So in some ways it, it puts the onus on him and, and I kind of agree with that because I think, again, it gives, either he's going to have to come to the table and truly deal with this or he's going to show his true colors again by by essentially doing what he does, which is whatever he wants to do. Yeah, I mean, I wondered in the in the statement whether like whether there's something, some agreement that Mel Gibson has made um, to do something positive um, for Israel or for for or to combat prejudice or something that has that caused the um, that that allowed his. Apology to be accepted. I mean, maybe there's something behind the scenes that's going on that you know where he did agree to do something positive. I don't know. I would hope so. Right. Well, we we need to take a break now. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Uh, I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guests today are Rick Barton and Jonathan Bernstein from the Anti Defamation League. When we come back, we'll talk more about what impact the Middle East crisis is having now on prejudice. So stay tuned. The Internet's premier talk radio station, VoiceAmerica.com. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood jet set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with president of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, 
sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with host, entrepreneur, author, motivational speaker, corporate executive, philanthropist, wife, and mother, Luann Mitchell-Halter, is an exciting and provocative look at the real world with real exciting guests and real stories of triumph and professionalism with a dash of spice sharing recipes for a better world on all the playing fields of life. Join Luann Mitchell-Halter as she and her guests uncover and expose us to our abilities to create our very own Big League MVP, My Victory Plan, Potential for Greatness. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with Luann Mitchell-Halter broadcast each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free. It's time to get off the bleachers, play the game of life, and be the MVP. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch and to my guests, Rick Barton and Jonathan Bernstein from the Anti-Defamation League, helping us sort out the uh, current problems that are arising. Um, not that these are sort of new new problems, but they seem, to, in some ways, they seem to be flamed by the events, the crisis in the Middle East, uh, the Israel-Lebanon conflict. And uh, we were talking before the break about Mel Gibson. And I just wanted to uh, sort of update you. A, a new uh, piece of news today was that the Walt Disney Company's ABC television network pulled the plug on a miniseries about the Holocaust that it was developing with Mel Gibson's production company after he made these remarks because when he was arrested for suspicion of drunk driving. And, um, and he, he also has a movie that's coming out from Disney. They're not canceling that. That's Apocalypto about the ancient Mayan Empire, um, and I, I, I wonder if. Um, well, I guess not. I, I had been thinking. I was wondering if ADL or any organizations were going to do a boycott of that movie. Although, although probably that movie about. I mean, I don't know how they could put an anti-Semitic twist on that, but maybe that's because I don't know my history that well. Um, but certainly, a, a miniseries about the Holocaust would not be one. That's like you know. <laughs> I mean, that just seems particularly ill-conceived. Yeah, that'd be like, uh, you know, asking a hate group to do a movie on uh, 
civil rights movement. Or yeah, something. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know, I think uh, if we had assurances that he was going to work with someone in the Jewish community and putting together a movie like that, uh, it would make us feel a whole lot better. Um, but the with the experience that we had with the passion, it would it's clear to us that that would not happen. Um, he was not really interested in developing a movie that would be sensitive to uh, or even accurate, um, and um, uh, and just wanted to get his basic message across. Yeah, what's what's really interesting about uh, about the controversy surrounding the passion is most people don't really have a, a good understanding of, of what ADL was asking him to do, which was simply to put a, a warning at the beginning or at the end of the movie that, that, would, that, that would tell the audience that this is a version of the passion and that historically this particular version that is attributing the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus to the Jews um, has been uh, has given rise to some of the worst anti-Semitism um, that Europe and the rest of the world has seen. That's all we were asking him to do, and he refused to do that. So I think that, that Jonathan's exactly right, and that is is that there's no way I think that we can trust him with any particular subject matter, knowing how rigid he is about protecting his particular view of things. Yes, and I, I guess, um, you know, I mean, maybe, I don't know whether he gave you an, a reason why he d- didn't want to do that, but, I mean, I guess one thing could be where maybe some lawyers told him that they didn't want liability for any acts of anti-Semitism that, that came after that that could be then blamed on the movie. But, I mean, obviously this was his philosophy, his view that he wanted to get across. It wasn't just... I mean, if he would have said that, that would really be a cop-out because it was all really what he wanted to say. Right. Yeah, and that wasn't the issue. I mean, if if he was concerned about that, it would it would actually make sense for him to consult with the Jewish community so that he could argue that if something did happen, mm. he'd have that, you know, to fall back on. Yes, yes, that's true. Well, I, it's... Uh, well, I'm glad in any case that it did get exposed, that this wasn't covered up, because so many times um, when celebrities get arrested for various bad behaviors, you know, the, their records do get covered up, and we don't know what they said. Let's turn now to the Seattle gunman, um, a man who described himself as a Muslim American, angry with Israel, opened fire with two handguns, killing one woman and wounding five others last Friday, and I'm sure, um, have you seen the 1994 yearbook photo of him where it says, um, Peace be unto you? I haven't seen that. I didn't see that either. Yes. Uh, um, (laughs) I mean, that's, you know, ironic. Peace be unto you if you believe what he does. Um, He apparently has a history of mental illness. He's been described as a studious loner, and his family has close ties to the local Muslim community center. He also has a charge of lewd conduct pending against him. So we have the drunks and the lewd. <laughs> right. Ah, oh, but you know when you when you're hurting people either physically or you know psychologically, um, and who knows what physical um, uh, uh, after effects Mel Gibson's arrest and, and his story will have. But you know, obviously, when you're when you're 
killing people or injuring people, um, you know, then then uh, it's it's a very serious situation. Obviously, um, what what uh, what have you people you know have you been what what impact has the the incident in Seattle had on you? Uh, first, a few comments. I think um, you know when a horrible hate crime occurs. I think there's a tendency in a community to look at the perpetrator and think, okay, he has a history of mental illness or he's from some other community outside, you know, away from here, um, or try to depict him as some kind of a monster. And um, while in this case it's true that he does have a history of mental illness, um, I'm concerned that that sort of gives us an easy out mm-hmm. um, by making him seem like this um, just crazy person. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not really accepting responsibility for what's going on in our communities that um, gives someone like him license to go out and, and commit this violent act. Um, and I think that's really the critical issue that we need to be examining uh, because he was clearly getting messages uh, with the people he was associating with uh, that if he acted on his hatred in a criminal way, that there would be people out there who would endorse him and yes. applaud him for doing it. Yes. And uh, I think that's that's the big issue and the thing that we're struggling with now. Right? Yeah, and it, it, it really sort of brings to the fore the, the you know the concern that the the conflict in the Middle East will be used as a justification or rationale for violence against Jews here in the United States. We saw in the aftermath of the Intifada in 2000 a a very sharp increase in uh, anti-Semitic acts in Europe. Uh, The Muslim community there became almost enraged, and you saw some, some just unbelievably heinous crimes committed all as a you know as a purported reaction to what was going on in the Middle East, and so for our community, um, we take very seriously um, the degree to which the images that come over the media um, will stimulate the kinds of thoughts and feelings that these people have, and then when you have, as, as Jonathan said, others that are sort of, uh, you know cheering on or, or encouraging uh, uh, people to do this, it, it sets up a formula that, that is obviously very disturbing and, and, and of great concern. Yes, um, it does provide an excuse to allow people's underlying hatred to come out and then they have a reason, well, you know, Israel is bombing Lebanon, so that's why. Um, but you know, why do you think um, that the Jews have been scapegoats for <laughs> for their whole history? <laughs> I mean, I know. Do we have? I was just going to say, <laughs> do we have a week to talk about this? <laughs> I mean, you know, because obviously this is just the latest incident of it. But but this is something I do know my history that much <laughs> that goes back, you know, forever. Yeah, there is no real single easy answer to that question. Right. You know, there are, um, unfortunately, people come, people who are anti-Semites, um, 
come to their anti-Semitism from many different angles. Uh, some of it's based on religious teaching. Some of it's based on, you know, um, uh, sort of economics, um, the whole gamut. And that's what makes anti-Semitism uh, continue for so long, is that there are multiple ways to get there. Mm-hmm. I think the other part of it, and, and I've said this in, in talks that I've given, is you know, I think it's a, almost a function of laziness. Um, you know, one of the phenomena that we've been noticing at, at ADL is how you don't need Jews in a particular place to have anti-Semitism. Um, for instance, a few years ago in Malaysia, when the currency in Malaysia took a, a significant drop, the, the Prime Minister of Malaysia went on the air and attributed it to Jews and their control of the banks. Mm. Now, there are no Jews in Malaysia. No mm. Jews own banks in Malaysia. It was this easy thing for him to do in mm. order to distract people away from what were, were truly the causes of this. And, you know, one of the things that we've argued about the conflict in the Middle East is you cannot divorce the situation in the Middle East from anti-Semitism. You know, while people want to say it's about the occupation and it's about Israel's victimization of the Palestinians and it's and it's simply about the, these particular discrete issues, the one question you have to ask yourself is why the single-minded obsession with five million Jews mm-hmm. in uh, amongst amongst somewhere between three hundred and five hundred million Arabs. Mm. Um, whose lives are, are economically and politically depressed. And, and so you, you really have to ask yourself how, you know, you know, why would some of these countries be sort of diverting attention o- away from, you know, the problems that are truly existing in these countries? And, and, and the answer is, is because it's always easy to find a scapegoat, and anti-Semitism has been almost institutionalized in terms of the themes. It's almost like a, so- a drawer full of old socks. You just go and drag one out of the top drawer. Oh, yeah, it's the banks. It's the control of the banks. That's why this currency is down, or, or whatever else, other situation. You can just adapt it. Yes, which I guess is why I'm sure part of your jobs have to do with... Um combating stereotypes. I mean, that banks, Jews owning the banks is sort of a, a long, an old, an old sock of a stereotype. Right. Well, we do need to take another break. Uh, we're talking with Rick Barton and Jonathan Bernstein, my guests from the Anti-Defamation League. We're talking about anti-Semitism and uh, its connection to the conflict in the Middle East. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Authority and Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson. 
Echopreneur, author, and green living maven brings you an upbeat, fun exploration of the doables of living a more earth-friendly life. Kim cuts through the noise and urban myth of green do's and don'ts and shows that it is possible to live green easily. From hip organic weddings to exotic echo travel to healthy personal care products. Get the most current trends and tips from the experts for living a more planet-friendly and human lifestyle. Living the Green Life with Kim Carlson. Broadcast each Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Living the Green Life for a human, healthy, and planet-friendly lifestyle. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Powerful Prayer with host Connie Coddington. Each week, Connie and her guests will explain the healing system called Christian Science and share stories of how they have used the spiritual laws of God to bring healing to their lives. You can learn how to bring healing to your life, too. So tune in to Powerful Prayer with host Connie Coddington every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America, America's Voice. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host. Today we're trying to sort of uh, get to the roots of a subject that really could go on for weeks, um, but my guests are doing a wonderful job making it, uh, getting to the bottom of it. Um, my guests are Jonathan Bernstein and Rick Barton from the Anti-Defamation League. Uh, we've been talking about anti-Semitism and the crisis in the Middle East. And um, one of the things that, of course, affects opinion and attitude and then behavior is the media and how a particular media outlet covers a particular incident, whether it's Mel Gibson's tirade, anti-Semitic tirade, or the firing, the shooter in Seattle. And obviously uh, I have been reading um, different stories, different news outlets, seeing different um, uh, descriptions of this, and you wonder sometimes if they're talking about the same incident because so much of their their bias um, in both directions comes out. What what has been your experience? Well, um, I, I guess I'm mostly disappointed that the uh, shooting in Seattle has not gotten more attention. Um, and, you know, the Mel Gibson incident and the shooting occurred around the same time up here in San Francisco. Um, Mel Gibson's story got on the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle. Hmm. The shooting where people were actually killed uh, never made it to the front page and um, and so I think 
um, the media plays a big role in terms of what it decides to omit or bury in the paper because it's not I, I don't believe the media can really change attitudes per se, but what they do do is they set the agenda for what what we're going to be talking about. And by not putting that on the front page, they're essentially saying that uh, it's more important for us to discuss the Mel Gibson episode than uh, than this horrific hate crime that's happened in the Jewish community. Yes. Rick? Yeah, in San Diego, um, there has been very little attention paid to what happened up in Seattle. And, and as we were, we were just saying off the air, uh, it's very disturbing to our community to be confronted with people who are going to act out like this. And, uh, you know, it's clear why the Mel Gibson story is getting the attention it is getting. It's because he's Mel Gibson. Um, and... Uh, we would prefer that, that the media set its priorities in a way uh, which give attention to, to those things, I think, that, that present, you know, a, a, a tremendous challenge to the communities, um, uh, such as the event in Seattle. Yes, you know, I think, um, I think in addition to attention, um, and of course, you know, that, Yes, I, I totally agree with both of you. But, you know, I guess it's even clearer when you look at news reports about what is going on in the Middle East, supposedly. <laughs> and, um, you know, depending upon what you read or listen to or watch, um, they make either Israel out to be the bad guy or, well, actually, <laughs> or they're neutral. I don't really, I mean, there. I guess there are some things, I mean, that make Hezbollah seem like the bad guy, but but I, I've been a little concerned about how many um, media outlets, news outlets, really tend to make Israel seem like the bad guy. Well, I, you know, I think the initial reporting um, of this conflict or war um, was really um, very good and balanced. Um, they reported quite a bit on how the world community, including leaders in the Arab world, really understood how Hezbollah had uh, overstepped the bounds and antagonized Israel um, and threatened its existence, and that Israel had a right to retaliate. And that was kind of the message that I think came through in much of the media. Yeah. What's going to be interesting now is to see where the media goes um, going forward, because unfortunately this war is not going away you know, anytime real soon. And um, and I think people need to be reminded of who started this. And Well, that's it. I mean, I think it was kind of more balanced as long as it wasn't clear who was winning. Not that it's clear that Israel is winning, but it's clear that Israel has been doing some damage to Hezbollah, and I think that that's been shifting the opinions. Well, and, and, and that's because the focus of the media is upon the spectacular. Um, and so... Israel, by by pounding Hezbollah strongholds, which are in the middle of these civilian areas, um, is giving rise to these images of civilian deaths and the destruction of these towns. And the problem is, is that there is not as as much effort made by the media to point, you know, to to emphasize that Hezbollah 
purposefully drives or, or draws fire into into these places. And so the you know the the cameras are going to go where the images are going to attract people to watch. Mm-hmm. And so as the war proceeded and Israel began its bombardment, seeking out these Hezbollah strongholds. I think you're right. It seemed like all we were seeing were these these horrific images. Right, these poor people and innocent people in Lebanon. And actually, that that make, makes me think of something else. You know, um, I'm sure you've heard the interviews of some of the people, the Americans who came back from, you know, who were rescued from Lebanon. And needless to say, that's a whole group of people who now are not very sympathetic to the Israelis. Yeah, and that's it, you know it's such an interesting response um, to, to all of this. But but let me go back to to you know another issue that, that I think the media has really missed, and that is that you know we understand that there are refugees who who are trying to leave these cities. They've been warned by the Israelis, and 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 there are a lot of people who have had to flee their homes. But I don't. There, there's very little coverage being given to the fact that over a million Israelis have left their homes in the north seeking shelter in the south mm-hmm. or they're living in their basements because because of this. Now, the Israelis are not taking the same kind of uh, they're not incurring the same kind of damage as is being inflicted on in southern Lebanon, one because they just have a much better system in place for civil defense. Um, and, and and two because they've got their civilians under the ground and they're actually, you know, Listening to what the government is telling them, and 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 there's just a complete lack of balance when it when it, when it comes to all of that. But you know, we're talking to friends and family who are scared to death, and and whose children are completely traumatized by this. And there's very little attention paid to that because the Israelis are basically doing it well. Yes, I actually haven't heard anything like that, and I've been kind of shocked at how. Um, some of the interviews with the, especially on radio when there's a little more time, some of the interviews with these Americans fleeing Lebanon have, have been allowed to, to go on, you know, and, and, and some of the things that the people have been saying are, are rather anti-Semitic. I mean, it really is in a very gray area. I don't know if you've heard some of the same things that I'm, are similar things to what I'm talking about. I haven't, no. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I have, and, and uh, you know, it, and I can understand, that, you know, when people are afraid, then they're going to direct their anger at the people who are making them afraid. Right. Um, but you would hope that at some point, you know, someone is going to figure out that, that one, that Hezbollah instigated this. Israel was not in southern Lebanon. There was no reason for Hezbollah to do this other than they wanted to provoke this response. And, and secondly, that Hezbollah has basically been burying themselves in embedding themselves in these civilian communities for the specific purpose of having, you know, civilians be part of the equation. And so you would hope that would happen, but it doesn't seem to. And it's the most, it's the most frustrating phenomenon to listen to some of these people. And a third thing it would be that uh, they would realize that the best way to resolve this is for Lebanon to develop its own military and uh, and get Hezbollah out of there. Yes, yes, and you kind of wonder, scratch your head. Well, you know, they can they can solve this very easily, or not easily, but I mean, they can do something about it and, and not just keep 
allowing them to be there. It's a very complex situation, obviously, but but certainly um, it's important to understand not only what's going on there, but how it's affecting people all over the world who are listening to this, in particular listening to some rather biased reports. And I'd like to thank you both very much for shedding light on all of this, Jonathan Bernstein and Rick Barton from the Anti-Defamation League. And I'd like to give you all the Anti-Defamation League website, some very interesting things on there and updated all the time. Uh, it's ADL.org, very simple, ADL.org. And again, thank you very both for joining me. Well, thanks and, for inviting uh, us. And I hope all of you out there, I hope um, a lot of things, a lot, there are a lot of things that both of you talked about that, I, is, that are really, um, that people don't think about, that, that, that we really don't know about um, and certainly don't think about on an everyday basis. So it's, it's really a very, uh, a very thorny problem and um, we all need to sort of learn how to be more tolerant to each other, whatever race or religion or any other kind of uh, descriptive background and uh, the world would be a better place. So let's heart- hope that starts soon in the Middle East. You Thank bet. you again. You bet. Thanks very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.